Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. Years ago, a product designer named David Rose wanted to solve a problem. At the time, he was running a small company that made what he calls glanceable devices. So, for example, an umbrella with a chip in the handle that checks on the weather for you, and then the handle pulses with a blue light if you should grab it from the coat rack before you rush out the door. He also made glowing orbs about the size of a snow globe that you put on your desk or on your kitchen counter, and they, too, were connected to a source of data, just like the umbrella, and they would tell you something instantly. So they might glow red if energy prices were high at that moment and you should avoid using energy unnecessarily. Or you could have an orb connected to data about your blood sugar, which would glow green if your sugar levels were right on track. And we became really interested in this idea that if it tracks energy usage in the home, like, would people pay attention? Would they change their energy behaviors? And it turned out we worked with um, San Diego Gas and Electric and Pacific Gas and Electric, and people would conserve about 20% of their electricity if they knew how much they were spending and how much it was costing them. Rose and his colleagues realized that they had entered the business of the nudge. And remember, this was before we were surrounded by internet-connected devices like Alexa from Amazon or Nest thermostats. Rose was effectively nudging consumers to act to reduce their energy usage, maybe to address their blood sugar levels, maybe to grab that umbrella before the sky opened up. And he wasn't doing it by sending an email or telling anybody to do anything. He was letting some random object in the house give people info that they didn't have before. Rose saw that connected devices had incredible potential for good, and he did something about it. So with that insight of like, oh, this is a behavior change object, not just something that's sort of fun to have around, but we can actually influence and nudge people in ways, um, we started working on some important health issues. And one of those health issues is most people, 50% of the people in this country are prescribed something that they take about 50% of the time, (laughs) despite the fact that their doctor says, do this every day. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really $200 billion of unnecessary hospitalizations due to medication not adherence. Okay. So um, they just decide, I've been prescribed this course of antibiotics. I, I think yeah, I'm fine. I'm for done. lots of reasons. Right. Sometimes you just don't feel sick. Other right. times you don't understand why you need the med. Other times you just forget mm-hmm. or you're out of them. So we thought, well, how can we use this Internet of Things technology, the ability to, to know when someone has opened their, their medication packaging, their pill bottle cap? And once we have that data, you know, so what, what should we do with it? And so we started um, looking at the feedback loops that we could start to spin up. Like one is a personal feedback loop. Remind me so I don't forget. You know, send me a text message if I should have done this thing an hour ago, but I didn't do this. Another one is social feedback loops. Like if there's a, a loved one in my social circle, like a parent or a peer, um, and I can send an email every week to them that shows, shows them how I'm doing and taking my med. That's sort of a social incentive. Um, there's another just convenience incentive, like tell the pharmacy that I'm going to be out in two days, like order a refill for my script. And for things that are really important, like immunosuppressants for people that have a new kidney, um, they have a transplant coordinator that wants to know about this data so you don't have to you know, lose $50,000 of insurance money or, <laughs> or get in line again for a new liver. Right. Um, so we, we started to connect this data to those four areas and then started to see a huge change in behavior. So people that would have taken their meds 50% of the time are now taking 
taking them 90% of the time. And so, you know, I'm excited by what can the Internet of Things do for convenience in the home, but also to work on really important issues in cities, in healthcare, you know, in other things that like can really make a positive change in society. Rose's pill bottle idea was acquired by a bigger company, and it reinforced his notion that we could be surrounded by what he calls enchanted objects. He actually filled his house with them. Cabinets that were fitted with Skype so you would be connected to grandma when you opened them. A coffee table that instead of having an atlas on it, had a screen connected to Google Maps so you could zoom here and there while you were sitting on the couch. Now we live in a world in which the objects around us are increasingly enchanted. Lots of people now wear connected watches and they've got connected doorbells with built-in cameras. Tens of millions of us have bought connected home devices like Amazon Echo, and that is expected to skyrocket in the next few years. And David Rose says, your future home may be filled with connected everything. The question is, what are these devices going to be giving you? And what are they going to be taking? Every single product company is thinking about how can they make their shoes, jewelry, luggage, doorbells, everything else connected. Right. And, you know, how can that add value in people's lives and how can they sort of balance this need for product differentiation with the concern for privacy. And, like, that's something that all companies are, are facing today. Right, right. I had somebody say to me recently, I would pay, this is the other side of it, I would pay to keep a device that listens to my every word out of my home. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. So I wonder, um, what's promising here to you, mm. what's exciting here to you, and what's concerning here to you? Well, I think I mean one of the promising things is just how there's an opportunity for making many, many things more convenient. Mm. You know, and and actually a lot of people are concerned about privacy, but also these, you know, just to take the doorbell example, mm-hmm. like it's really nice to have a doorbell that has a little camera on it. People are voluntarily walking up to your door and you have Amazon packages that you hope are trying to be delivered. And so actually knowing who's there, knowing who's walking up to the door and not ringing your doorbell, um, you know, is comforting and sort of helps you in this need for safekeeping that we mm. all have. And is there do you think there's a dark side to it? Is there a part that concerns you, either in terms of privacy or in terms of anything else? Absolutely. I, mean, I think the duration of how long data is saved, I mean, it's really free to keep data forever almost <laughs> these days. And so companies don't have um, a lot of reasons to uh, systematically and programmatically forget things. And I think, you know, for having companies that both give you the easy chance to hit a switch on your Nest thermostat and have it forget all everything it ever knew about you should be much easier. I think that's a really important component that every consumer electronics or data company needs to pay attention to, this ability to forget and not save data. Mm -hmm. But it it seems to me that um, what we're seeing company after company is that, you know, if they collect data, they're realizing, wow, this is incredibly valuable. Either we know your music preferences or we know when you come home and when you leave and whatever. And they don't want to forget. They could sell this on the open market or they can profit off it somehow. Maybe in a way you don't want them to, but still. Yeah, I, I'm concerned about the all of the cross-correlations that can be made from, uh, you know, your behavior about the photos that you share to, like, how could that, that could inform uh, vacation decisions or purchase decisions or other things. I mean, the flip side of that is 
even though big companies have a lot of data about us, they're still not able to very effectively advertise to us. You know, I mean, it's a persistent concern that we all have, but it's also a persistent failure of the advertising community that they still can't send me an email about the perfect vacation, even if they're able to look at all of my pictures of everywhere I've gone for the last 10 years. Like, there seems to be almost a, a failure of, of being able to mine that in a, in a useful way. Maybe, but they do follow you. I mean, certainly once you express an interest in buying black pants, all you see it feels like when you browse the web is ads for black pants. Right. And in many cases, that's a fail because you just purchased the black pants. <laughs> how, how many do you need? That is true. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess the one of the most interesting things about sort of where this industry has gone in the last couple of years is the preferred interaction modality seems to be voice, right? Like with Amazon's Alexa, which mm-hmm. has been a huge breakout product, People are becoming more and more used to talking to their stuff, you know, talking to ovens and talking to doors and talking to lighting. Um, And I think this is really short-sighted. Actually, I was a a futurist in residence at IDEO, the design firm, over the summer. Mm And, you know, sort of in a reaction to the, the popularization of voice as, as modality, um, we did a really interesting project about gesture because gesture is so much faster, maybe just as rich in some contexts and can be subtle um, in a way that like voice is sort of embarrassing and sort of crude in some ways. Like who really wants to say, like, turn on my light? Like, wouldn't you rather just sort of do what a mime does or a magician does or an orchestra conductor does and just, you know, wave your hand in a signature way and have the world do what you want? That's much more magical. Mm. Do you feel like these enchanted or connected objects could be used more for serious things, but are tending to be used more for like, Alexa, play happy birthday, which is fine, which is fine. But, you know, not helping you, you know, keep your kidney or anything. Mm. Yeah, well, I think different industries have different adoption rates for new technologies. I mean, healthcare may be one of the last because it's a highly regulated industry. In many industrial settings, you know, from factory automation uh, to mining to forestry to finding people who are lost, these types of like embedding sensors in everything from, you know, using drones and putting sensors on bridges has just become the standard way of doing business. And so if you look at the numbers, there are billions and billions of new little sensors. I was just talking at a water conference in Chicago a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about how sensors on water pipes which were originally put in just so that they could bill people for their water in New York, were used in order to find who hadn't evacuated after Sandy. So they were being oh, used to like send rescue crews to buildings because they could monitor the water usage, and they knew that somebody was still living in a place that was supposed to be an evacuation zone. So, so they're that ubiquitous yeah, in like New yeah. York, New Jersey, that they really knew, oh, that person's still taking showers or <laughs> that's whatever. Right, that's okay. right. So there are all kinds of like interesting secondary uses for these things that were once put in for a very sort of mundane, like just collect the money for the right. water. <laughs> now you're seeing them used for other, maybe more useful things. Hmm. 
even given all the connected stuff we're, we are talking about, you know, we're sitting in a room in a studio. We've got a table and chairs and pencils and pens. And most of this stuff is not smart. It's dumb. Um, so is that like what's your vision is what we're seeing the beginnings of now with Alexa and Fitbit? Is that just going to spread out or give me a sense of like five or 10 years from now how things might be different? Well, the competitive dynamics in almost any product industry is driving these product companies to adopt new services, new ways of selling chairs or selling headphones or selling, you know, whatever we have around us, Mm -hmm. pencils. And so they all have innovation teams that or they're paying innovation consultancies like Frog and IDEO Mm -hmm. to think about how these new technologies can uh, differentiate and add more value to all of these ordinary products. And it's a mess right now. (laughs) Like, if you were at the Consumer Electronics Show, you would have seen this year, like, every single product category. Like, I can't think of one that wasn't showing some sort of connected version. So it's just, it's a mess right now, right? Like, you have internet-connected toilets where you ask them to put up the toilet seat. Um, I'm not sure people need that. Um, But, you know, you can see why these companies are doing it, right? And what I encourage my students to think about, and hopefully we can train you know, a new generation of students that are not just doing this because it's the next sort of whiz-bang thing, but that are using sort of a design sensitivity towards making things that are polite, that are really respectful of our attention and our time, uh, that handle data in a responsible way, and that also sort of talk nice to an ecosystem of other things around them. David Rose has founded a string of companies. He's a researcher at MIT, and he's vice president of vision technology at Warby Parker. David, thank you so much. Thanks, Kara. This is super fun. And if you want to see some of the things that David Rose has created, from the umbrella that pulses with light if you should grab it on your way out the door, to the pill bottle that can text you, They are on display at the Museum of Science in Boston, which has been an underwriter of this show. Innovation Hub is collaborating with the Museum of Science to display the work of great inventors and designers and researchers. And first up is David Rose. So check it out if you live in Boston or if you're just passing through. 